You're now listening to the SPLX Podcast. Every week, we'll have the latest news and interviews with SPLX athletes and special guests. This is the SPLX Podcast. And now your host, Brian Fritz, with the latest. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the SPLX Podcast. I am your host, Brian Fritz. Let's get to this week's latest news. Zach Sabre Jr. has become this year's Progress Super Strong Style 16 Tournament winner. Zach made it to the final of the inaugural Super Strong Style 16 Tournament against Will Ospreay in 2015, but he came up short. Now, Zach defeated Chuck Mambo, David Starr, Keith Lee, and then WWE NXT's Cassius Ono, of course, formerly known as Chris Hero, in the final to win the 2018 edition of the tournament. Now, talking about progress... And Heligo made his debut for the company, entering the Super Strong Style Tournament. He defeated Mark Andrews in the first round, but exited the tournament on day two in a valiant effort against Keith Lee in the quarterfinals. Meanwhile, Jeff Cobb and Matt Riddle, collectively known as the Chosen Bros, they're set to take on Aussie Open, made up of Mark Davis and Cal Fletcher, at RevPro's Epics Encounter on May 11th at York Hall. Now, on the same card, Zack Sabre Jr. will defend his RevPro Tag Team Championship, along with Minor. Norris Suzuki against CCK, made up of Chris Brooks and Travis Banks. Chelsea Green has been added to the ever-growing roster for All In in Chicago on September 1st. SPLX athletes Zach Sabre Jr., Matt Riddle, and Jeff Cobb will be fighting at OTT, Over the Top Wrestling's biggest show of the year, Scrapper Mania 4. Also, SPLX will have a store in attendance so you can come by and get your SPLX t-shirts and other merchandise. Rey Mysterio is set to debut for New Japan Pro Wrestling in Osaka, Japan on June 9th. Now, his opponent has yet to be announced. Rey was unable to face Jushin Thunder Liger at New Japan Strong Style Evolved event in California early this year due to a bicep injury. He was recently a part of WWE's Greatest Royal Rumble event in Saudi Arabia, and Mysterio now fighting fit, and we can't wait to see who he will face on June 9th for New Japan Pro Wrestling. That's all the news for this week. Now on to our interview with Matt Riddle. I'll be honest, the, the passion for MMA started pretty young. Same thing with pro wrestling. I grew up in like a family where we weren't really allowed to watch sports. We didn't watch football, baseball, basketball, soccer. We, didn't, we just didn't watch sports. One day, my dad made the mistake of turning on pro wrestling, and I was like, do not turn the channel. And I was hooked probably since I was like 12. From there, my brother had some friends that wrestled amateur in high school. They had come over. Of course, I'm doing my pro wrestling on the trampoline. Well, they would come over and hit me with real German suplexes and real suplexes and just beat my ass. And I was like, I got to learn how to really wrestle. So I started doing amateur wrestling. And I'll be honest, I fell in love with it the second I started doing it. I won states and nationals by the time I was a senior in high school, started wrestling division one in college, you know, and I was doing very well. My sophomore year in college, my coach had to resign because he uh, altered the weight certifications. So in America, when you wrestle, you cut weight to make certain weight classes. Our coach basically went in the computer and lowered our weights so we could all drop lower weight classes, which would be extremely dangerous and unsafe. They caught him, he had to resign. At this point, I lost my scholarship to wrestle in college, and so did a bunch of my other buddies, because the new coach coming in was the assistant coach from Lehigh University, and he was bringing in a bunch of the 
basically the freshman class they're going to bring into Lehigh, he's going to bring to East Stroudsburg as his own. So when they did that, it was summer. And of course, I could still go to college. It's not like I was failing out or anything. And uh, so it was summertime. I was working at a movie store when movie stores were still a thing called 48 Hour Video in Palmerton, Pennsylvania, in the middle of nowhere. And my one buddy, Scott Kaplan, hit me up. And literally, it was kind of like things happened for a reason. Like, my girlfriend just broke up with me. I lost my scholarship. Just found out I lost my scholarship. Wasn't going to get money to go back to school. My buddy Scott calls me and goes, Hey, I'm doing jujitsu. I'm going to enter like a national grappling tournament in a couple weeks. You want to come up and train and do this? I was like, Yeah. I'm like, I have nothing else to do. I don't want to go back to school because I don't want to have to pay full tuition, this, that, and the other thing. I told my parents, they said, we're not going to support you. We don't support this decision. This is dumb. You should stay in school. And I go, no, like, I don't want to go back to school. I feel like I'm wasting my time, my money, and your money. Like, I feel like this is the right thing to do. They were nice enough to drop me off at my friend's house in New York with my clothes, and then they drove off. It was tough, you know, but like I said before, like in the positive one, you need your lows to have your highs. I moved in with Scott and things got rough pretty quick. He lost his job instantly. I was the only one working. Then I lost my job pretty quick after that. And we had a dog. We were just struggling. We basically lived off tuna fish and ramen noodles. And we were so poor, we couldn't even afford for toilet paper we would just rinse our asses in the shower every time we used the toilet it was it was bad we were really struggling and i was competing we had, this is what we did we literally bought jujitsu mats for our apartment and we would train in our apartment because the guy we were learning under actually had a heroin addiction that we didn't know about until we signed up and uh he would cancel class a lot so we ended up buying mats from him and put them in our apartment, and I bought books and jujitsu and MMA books like BJ Penn's MMA book, Machado's Path to Black Belt, Eddie Bravo's book uh, Master Rubber Guard, you know, all these jujitsu books and MMA books. And me and my buddy Scott literally trained and sparred and just got better and better, just helping each other. And I was already a state national champion wrestler, so I kind of elevated his wrestling. He was doing jiu-jitsu for about eight months before I got there, so he helped me get the jiu-jitsu up quicker. So we helped each other. The only inconvenience we had at this point was our downstairs neighbor was a cop, and he would get pretty pissed when we would spar about 2 o'clock in the morning. He'd come up, but usually he was pretty pleasant because I would answer the door like sweaty, shredded, like, what do you want? Like, I'm fighting. What do you want? And he'd be like, can you guys keep it down? And we'd be like, yeah, we're sorry. And we'd usually cut it out after that. But So that's how that, you know, my whole MMA career kind of started. Now, at this point, I was only competing in jiu-jitsu tournaments. I didn't want to step into the MMA arena yet. And I started grappling. Naga, Grappler's Quest, Copa Atlantica, just the biggest grappling tournaments in America. And about eight months of me starting this training... I had about 80 matches in jiu-jitsu, and my record was about 78-2, and two, maybe 77-3. and three. I only lost a couple times, and when I did, it was like the world's best. Uh, shortly after that, I had one amateur fight. Beat the crap out of this dude horrifically. The guy had 10 fights already. On paper, he should have whooped me up, and I... I heard him. I literally ripped his shoulder out of socket within the first like minute and a half. Crowd was going crazy. And then, have you ever seen the movie Hook? 
Yeah, of course. So after the during before the match, my friend Scott he cornered me. He goes, "Hey, after the match, can you crow for me if you win?" And I was like, "You got it." So after I ripped this dude's shoulder out of socket, not that I like adding insult to injury, but I got up and I just went, eh, 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 and gave a loud crow, and it, it was it was one of those moments. Like I felt like. After all those lows and everything, I was finally coming up. Like, I had all those wins in jiu-jitsu, but those were kind of low-key. And now this fight in a huge casino in Connecticut at the Mohegan Sun in front of a crowd of about 700 people, you know, I felt like I'm finally, like, getting back to where I want to be. After that, I was still winning a lot of grappling tournaments and stuff. But the guy I was training with in now Pennsylvania... He goes, and his name was Nick Massington. He owns a gym called The Rat Pack in Pennsylvania. And honestly, when I, this is a little side story because I was training with Scott in New York. I moved back to Pennsylvania because at this point, my parents have seen how good I am. And now they're like, we'll support you. You're doing really well. So I moved back home and I started training at this gym, The Rat Pack. I went there the first day and they go, how long have you been training? I go, about eight months. But I go, I'm a state and national champion wrestler before that. And I go, and I've won a couple grappling tournaments. They go, okay. They, you could tell they didn't think I was that good because I look, like, I look too, I feel like I look a little feminine for a fighter. Like, I don't look as tough as the average fighter, you know. I'm not tatted up. I don't have a shaved head. I don't look mean. So I go in this gym, and everybody's mean looking, tatted, like, just mean. They all have pro fights, whatever. And I literally beat the shit out of everybody. I submit them all. I slam them. I'm hitting flying arm bars. The next day I come in, they're like, let's spar. Let's kickbox. First guy comes up to me. He's a big biker, just tatted up, shredded. He's like probably like 15 and eight pro kickboxing. Like the guy had experience. I literally hit him with a right hook, knocked his mouthpiece clean out of the ring and he dropped. And they were like, okay. After that, Nick pulled me aside and goes, how do you like to teach here? Wow. So I was like, sure, you're going to pay me, this, that, and the other thing. So they paid me to teach there and all that. I was still winning tournaments. And then shortly after that, they go, hey, you could do this other grappling tournament like you've been crushing it. And at this point, I was ranked top 10 in the world in jiu-jitsu and no-gi grappling. Or they go, you can try out for the ultimate fighter. And what year was this? This was 2007. So they asked me if I wanted to try for the Ultimate Fighter, and let's be honest, that's the end goal. You know, you want to make lots of money doing something you love, and I love fighting, I love doing jiu-jitsu, and this was my opportunity. So I was like, yeah, sure, like, I can always do another grappling tournament. You never know how many Ultimate Fighters are going to be or how often they're going to do tryouts in this area. So we drove to Newark, New Jersey in a horrible snowstorm, and we went to the trout. The trout consisted of 500 people. And like I said, I didn't look like any of these people. These guys were all savages. Do you think that was a positive? Yes, at the end so of the day. Oh, yeah. At the end of the day, it was definitely a positive and the reason why I got to where I was. So the first round of the tryout was grappling. So they pull 50 people in at a time because there's 500 of us, and then they call random numbers. They'll be like 2 and 48. And maybe I'm 2, the other guy's 48. They go, okay, Matthew Riddle. So-and-so, you have 45 seconds to grapple. You start on your knees. So like you're staying, if you're a state champion wrestler, it really doesn't matter because you start on your knees or your butt. You know, they want to see how good you are on the ground. And I'm going against, uh, I had a guy from American Top Team, which is one of the best training facilities, training schools in America and in the world. They have branches, Brazil, everywhere. 
And uh, so I'm matched up with this high-level brown belt from American Top Team. And I'm like, damn, like I got to start on the ground. And I was like, well, there's no way I'm not going to look good. I let a second we start, instead of like trying to take him down, I hit him with a flying triangle. Instead of trying to finish it, I transitioned right to an armbar, transitioned right into an umaplata, into a guillotine, finished him with a guillotine. So I showed the UFC I could hit five different submissions and a finish within 45 seconds off my butt. So right there, I got past the first round like that. Second round was hitting pads. I don't have the best technique, but I hit like a freight train. They saw that, got through the second round pretty quick. Third round, and this is where my looks paid off, was the interview round. And like I said, everybody there tatted up, pierced up, mean looking, goatees, just, you know, the normal look that you see in the fight game. And I walked in. I remember when I walked in, the guy, am I allowed to swear? Yeah. I, I walk in, this guy's like, look at this fucker. Like, da, 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 like talking shit to me right away. He's like, look at this pussy. Like, he's going to make it, da, da, da. And I'm like, pussy? I'm like, the only pussy I know is your mother's motherfucker. It's like, you watch your mouth. <laughs> and, I, of course, I have a big grin on my face. And he's like, oh, shit. He's like, I like this guy. And then the girls on the panel liked me because they're like, you're really cute. Da, 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 da. I was like, thank you. But the guys were just talking shit. And they are trying to get under my skin. And they couldn't, you know, they're testing me because you're going to be in a house for eight weeks with 15 other or 20 other cage fighters that might try to kill you, you know, or you might try to kill them. So if anything gets under your skin that easy, they can't have you in the house because you're a liability. So they saw that I couldn't get my feathers ruffled. I was a nice guy, but I could also kill people when I wanted to. And I had a look nobody else had. I literally showed up wearing like an Abercrombie t-shirt with my shaggy hair looking like straight out of college, you know? So they loved it. Hands down, I was in. Like they called me up two weeks later. They go, hey, Matt. I'm like, yes, on my mom's cell phone because I didn't have my own. And because I don't have a license either, I was actually pumping my mom's gas for her car at the time. And they go, hey, Matt, how would you like to be a TV star? And I was like, you know, I'm pumping my mom's gas in her car. I'm like, sounds pretty awesome. You know, I'm living on my mom's couch right now. So, yeah, and uh, they flew me out to Vegas. They did uh, medicals, drug testing, all that stuff. Everything came back perfect. And then did the show, The Ultimate Fighter Season 7. Uh Coaches were Rampage Jackson and Forrest Griffin. Uh, and the show aired, I believe, early 2009. Had, had you... So this was two years later than... Yeah, well, that was like 2007. The course of the whole year, 2007, was me starting grappling. Oh, okay. Me doing the Ultimate Fighter. And like all that, all those 70 grappling matches, that one fight, everything happened in those like... In 2007. Okay. And then 2008 is when... We started filming. January 2008 is when we started filming The Ultimate Fighter. So this is, so, okay, so, but it added in 2009. Yes, because it takes, like, another, it might have even been, like, the end of 2008. It might have aired, it might have aired in, like, June, July. But it, TV always takes, like, an extra six months after. So you had, so you got your coaches and everything else to sit down. At what point did you meet Dana White? I met Dana White before I even met the coaches. They brought all 30, they brought 32 people. And usually the ultimate fighter is like eight to 16 people. It's a bracket, you win it, you win the contract, whatever. Well, there's 32 of us. And I'm looking around and I'm like, that is a lot of us. There should be at least half this amount. 
And they go, Dana White comes out and goes, I'm trying to get rid of all the pussies and posers, which I thought was hilarious. And he's like, so this year, you're not going to the house. You have to fight to get in the house. So basically, there's 32 of us. There's 16 fights to be had. And if you didn't win this fight, you went right home. So I was matched up with a guy, and that's why I met Dan, Dana White. That was the first time. Basically, are you a pussy or a poser? We're about to fucking find out. Oh, shit. Here are your opponents. You're about to fight. Right there and then? Well, they gave us one day. They basically were like, because that day we were already on weight because we were going to fight the next day. We just didn't know against who. So basically they are like, yeah, you guys are going to fight tomorrow, which we all planned on doing because we all had weighed in that day. And then they gave us our opponents that day. And then they sent us to our hotels where we weren't allowed to leave. They literally chaperoned the floor so we couldn't get out. And they made sure nobody left any of the hotels because they don't want people to talk or anything like that. Next day, all the fights start happening. The fights are pretty decent, some good finishes. And then my fight comes up. The guy I fought, his name was Dan Simler. Really good. Uh, he's a black belt under match series, a multiple-time world champion in jiu-jitsu like myself. Like, very high level. So it was a competitive match. The first five minutes was fine. I, kept, I dominated. I took him down, beat him up, controlled him, whatever. But I didn't, like, finish him or knock him out. Round two starts. We go out. We touch gloves. Then I swing one of the biggest right hooks of my life. It lands. And the thing about it, it lands, he drops, but his eyes were still open. So I was like, oh, I rocked him. He's still awake. So I hit him about three to five more times while he's there, not knowing he was completely unconscious already. Herb Dean spears me off him. I literally, you know, just natural reaction. I literally flex on everybody in the crowd watching and then scream. That's how I do, you know, <laughs> like a, like an asshole, really. Like, but um, so that's how I do, ah, whatever. And I'm standing there waiting. Dana White gives me the bro sign, you know, the, the, the surf's up. Yep. And I'm like, yeah, you know. And I'm, I'm chilling there, and I'm waiting for my opponent to stand up. And he's not standing. He's not awake. His eyes are still open, but he's not moving. So the doctors come in. They're moving him. They're trying to get him awake. They put the smelling salt under his nose. And now about five minutes has gone by. He has not woken up. His eyes are open, but he's not moving. He's not talking. He's just breathing. Smelling salt hits. Second, he comes to. Starts moaning, yelling, screaming in pain. Doctor feels his jaw. I broke his jaw in three spots. Uh, they stand him, they give him some morphine, they stand him up so he's fine, raise my hand, they walk him into the back, and then that's when I realized the actual amount of damage that happened during the fight, because people were, he kept asking, was it a fight or was it practice? And when people would say, oh, it was a fight, you got knocked out, he'd go, okay. Less than five seconds later, he'd look him dead in the face again and go, was that a fight or was it practice? And he kept doing it. He kept doing it until the ambulance came, loaded him up, and took him to the hospital. He ended up having, it broke his jaw in three spots, so they had to reconstruct his jaw by taking out all of his teeth, then reconstructing his jaw, then implanting all of his teeth back in, then wiring it completely shut. And then his brain, I, they compared to like a 60 mile per hour car accident without a seatbelt. I gave him level three amnesia. And I'm not bragging about this, this is just what happened. But level three amnesia where 
I saw him about six months, seven months later, and he just realized what happened to him. His jaw was still wired, but he's like, I just started to remember things like two weeks ago. Do you know who he is now? He's fine now. He doesn't fight anymore. He teaches jujitsu in Long Island, New York. And his mind's brain's all fine. Oh, he's fine now. Okay, yes, good. yes, yes. He, he's perfectly fine now. It was just a severe, severe concussion right. brain trauma for those three to six months okay. where he lost most of his memory. Did and he ever fought again or was that it? That was it. Wow. He was done. But, I mean, I, I don't know if he was ever cleared to fight again or if he just chose not to fight again. I know he grappled a bunch after that and won a lot of tournaments. But I know in the one tournament, he actually broke his jaw again because the guy just put shoulder pressure on his face and it broke his jaw again just because of it being broken. And but So that was my first fight on The Ultimate Fighter. Got in the house. Super stoked. 22 years old. I'm The Ultimate Fighter. Very happy. I'm no longer living on my mom's couch. You know, I'm in a mansion in Las Vegas being filmed on TV. Is that your first time in Vegas? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Other than the drug test and the medicals that they did before we got yeah. 100% out there. Yeah. But that was like they flew us out there for like a day and then flew us right back home. And when you're in the house, were you allowed to leave the house or, were you, or was it the same as the hotel you had to stay in? You had to stay in the hotel house. You couldn't even go out the front door. You could go outside in the backyard. They had a pool, jacuzzi, a decent amount of yard but you could not go out the front door. The only time you could go out the front door is when the van was there to pick you up to take you to train or take you to whatever activity they wanted you to do. Did you or anybody try to get out? Not in our season, because everybody that did try to get out always got caught, always got fired, and never fought in the UFC ever again. So it's basically career suicide if you get on the Ultimate Fighter and escape. So, and there's no point. Like, you fought to get here. Why would you escape? And I'll be honest, for me, it was awesome. I, I was living with my mom, and now I'm like living with other 15 other cage fighters being taught by two of the best fighters in the world, working for the biggest mixed martial arts company in the world, living in a mansion in Las Vegas. And the cool thing about this place is, reality TV, I don't know if other shows are like this, but The Ultimate Fighter was like this. You would literally just pick up a cell phone and be like, hey, I want a keg of Heineken, a handle of Jägermeister, three DiGiorno pizzas, hot wings, blah, 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 and a pair of Oakley sunglasses. Boom. Literally 30, 40 minutes later, you have everything. You'll hear a knock on the back door. Dude, everything. <laughs> everything. Until people start taking advantage and then they stop giving you gifts. But you can always get food and alcohol. So food and alcohol was always there. But when you first got there, if you were smart, and if anybody's listening that's about to be on The Ultimate Fighter, remember, take advantage. If you're there, start asking for stuff right away. They will give it to you. Once everybody else starts asking, they stop giving stuff away. Okay. That's the trick. So, yeah, I got sunglasses and everything else. And then when other people start asking, they're like, well, we're going to take that out of your pay. And they're like, you didn't take that out of Riddle's pay or C.V. Dalloway's pay, but hey, we were first. What's the deal with them giving you alcohol? Is that, is that the TV producers giving you alcohol? Funny enough, on this show, there's no TV allowed, no magazines allowed, no books allowed, nothing like that, you know? No board games, nothing like really? that. Really? What, what's the reason behind all that? They don't want you, they, they want controversy, they want drama. So the best way to get drama is idle hands, give you nothing. 
make you sit in front of each other. It's essentially putting human beings in a cage, essentially. A really nice cage. A really nice cage. With lots of nice food and alcohol. And lots of testosterone in the, yeah. Yeah, and we're all fighting and training every day, and we all know, we're all in the same weight class. There's only one winner of this show. We're all eventually going to fight each other or something's going to happen, you know? So... But to me, this is paradise. You know, as a 22-year-old man that was living at home with his parents, I hit the jackpot. Like, this is my dream come true. The only thing I would have preferred is there were some chicks. But there wasn't. But uh, it, it was fun, like I said. And uh, my second fight didn't go as smoothly. You know, I fought a 10-year veteran by the name of Tim Crudor who did very well. He actually just recently retired from the UFC, like, also, like, on a winning streak. He's extremely successful. Runs a gym in, uh, I believe, Louisiana. He's one of the best leg lock guys in the world. Uh, me and Tim had a brawl. We fought. We were both gushing blood after the fight. It was a war. And, like, and the best part is, I'll be honest, I'm big into video games. One of the main reasons I wanted to play in the UFC is my parents wouldn't buy me an Xbox or a PS3 or anything. I wanted one. This is my opportunity to make enough money to buy one. Well, if you lose fights, you don't get paid money. And the first fight we won, for some reason, didn't count for money. Oh. So I didn't get paid for my fights at all. So don't get me wrong, I got paid to be on TV and I could have bought the Xbox, but Tim beat me. And Tim was a sweetheart. He was a nice guy. And he goes, Matt, I know how bad you want that Xbox 360. I'm going to buy you an Xbox 360, bro. Thank you for that fight. It was awesome. And I was like, thank you, Tim. And did he? He did. Tim lived up to it. I will say this. Tim did wait till the show aired and until our fight aired. Because I do talk a lot of shit. And he was like, I wasn't going to buy that Xbox, uh, Xbox until I saw what you said about me. If you would have said anything negative about me. I wasn't going to buy it for you, but you were the man. You were positive. You were really nice. And yeah, he sent me, he sent me the deluxe edition. It was like 500 gigabyte, whatever props it was. To Tim. Yeah. Props to Tim. You know, he, he was, he, Tim's a good guy, like I said, and, and he was a stud and he did extremely well throughout the tournament. He didn't win. Amir Sadala won the show, but he did extremely well. But at this point I did so well in my first fight and my second fight and realized at this point I've only been fighting about a year. Everybody else on this show are veterans. And I had no pro fights. I lied and said I was 1-0 pro, even though I was 1-0 amateur, to get on the show. They didn't find this out until I knocked the first dude out. Then they did more research and they're like, this guy's an amateur fighter. So then I had to go back to the doctor, get my pro physical done because they thought I already had it done. And then they're like, okay, now you're actually a professional fighter. Wow. So that's how that worked, you know? Tell me about the coaches. Yeah, so the coaches were Rampage Jackson, Forrest Griffin. And I got some funny stories about this. Rampage was my coach. I love Rampage. One of the nicest guys I've ever met. Cool guy. Would love to hang out with him, right? Play video games with him. Cool guy. Good coach? Definitely not. One of the worst coaches I've ever had in my life. He was very, he just, it's not his thing. You know, he's a fighter. He's, he's a natural gifted fighting athlete. He's not a naturally gifted coach, you know? And the other, and that was my coach. That's who picked me. I was the second pick of the season. And, you know, I, that was also a proud moment as well. Uh, the other coach was Forrest Griffin, which, funny enough, later on in life, we became friends. We trained a lot together in Las Vegas. But I was on the opposite team, and Forrest didn't like me. He didn't like my attitude. He didn't like the fact I was a 22-year-old kid that was as good as I was probably in all this. And one day, after, after practice, you know, because we all practice at different times, I'm walking out with my team, 
and Forrest's team's walking in with Forrest. And Forrest is the last one behind his team. And I'm probably like the last one behind Team Rampage. It's just how it happened. And we're all shaking hands. It's a very, you know, when you're in that house, there's mutual respect amongst all of us. You know, there has to be. So slapping hands on our way out as they're coming in. And the only one that doesn't slap my hand is fucking Forrest Griffin. And I'm like, and I turn around as I'm walking into the van. I go, you fucking pussy. I sit down. Not two seconds later, I have a silverback gorilla by the name of Forrest Griffin threatening to kick the fucking shit out of me in a van. He's like, get out here. I'll kill you, you piece of shit. And I'm just like. Bro, I'm like, do it. I'm like, do it. Make me famous. Do it. Like, you're going to fucking attack me right here? Make me rich? Do it. Like, you're not going to do shit. He's like, I'll kill you. I'm like, do it. Because I'm that kind of guy. Like, I'll call somebody out. Grant, he didn't do anything. He flipped out on me. Crazy. Next day, and like, everybody on our team was like, holy shit, Riddle. Like, you almost got killed. I'm like, he wasn't going to do anything, right? Next day... Forrest Griffin comes up to me and goes, man, I'm so sorry, da 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 I go, I'm sorry for calling you a pussy too, man. You know I didn't mean that, but you shook everybody else's hand and then skipped me. Why did you do that? He's like, I don't know. I was just in a bad mood. And I'm like, all right. So we settled it up. Everything was fine. The season went down. You know, there was only one person I didn't like on our show and nobody liked. And he went by the name of Jeremy May. And if you go on YouTube, you can find a lot of funny videos of us kind of doing little pranks to him. Nothing too mean, but like this guy was a real douche. And uh, like the one day we took the soles out of his shoes and we put salmon in one, like raw salmon and raw steak in the other and we closed them. And then we called him surf and turf. But he never knew why. But he was walking around with raw meat in his shoes, one fish, one. Didn't he feel the meat in his shoes? I guess not. He rocked it to the end. The thing is, you know how I said we could get gifts? Those were shoes that were gifted to him on the show, like some new Nike Jordans or something, and we literally surf and turfed them. And the thing is, they stunk horrifically bad. And, like, I guess he thought his feet just smelled like that or whatever. <laughs> but so, so that was funny. But after the show, after my knockout, after my performance, the UFC was extremely impressed, you know? And... Out of everybody on the show, only nine people were offered contracts out of the 32 people. And I was one of the nine people. Thanks for listening to this week's SPLX podcast. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast on iTunes or wherever you get your podcast. Please help spread the word. And also check out the SPLX Apparel website. Go to suplexapparel.com. Thanks, everybody. Talk to you next week right here on the SPLX podcast.